0: Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you want to continue the discussions and conversations around each episode, please do feel free to join us in our private Facebook group and I'll make sure there's a link directly to there in the show notes. Now, as a musician, you know that music and and the entry into music is really important to me. So today I'm delighted to be chatting to Vicky Weber. Now, during COVID, when her students couldn't learn to play the recorder in the classroom, Vicky published an interactive music book, Laszlo Learns Recorder, to help kids virtually learn the recorder. Music teachers all over the country used the book to supplement their teaching, and it was then that Vicky caught the writing bug. After six years in the classroom, Vicky then became a full-time author. She also serves as a coach for aspiring authors, and to date she's released 10 picture books that draw upon her teaching experience and Puerto Rican heritage. Her interactive music books teach kids everything from music vocabulary and how to play the recorder, and Vicky's become so successful in such a short time that Disney and Random House recently tapped into her to write the Encanto Step Into Reading book. Now, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know many of you here are in education. I know many of you have businesses and things that you've started around education. So I always think the ability to sort of see people's lives and how they develop and, and how these sort of things happen one step at a time is always fascinating. So I really hope you enjoy this. My conversation with Vicky Weber. Hi, Vicky. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. As everybody knows, music is such an important part of my life. So it's an absolute delight to chat to someone who obviously has that same passion. So thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So tell us a little bit about that in terms of that kind of straddling the teacher side and the musical side and how that sort of passion joined itself together.
1: Yeah, so my background is actually in music education. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in music ed with vocal emphasis, um, but then I went on to get my master's in teaching and learning with an English as a second language uh, concentration. And so for me, I've always loved literature, and uh, not all of my students did. So that was where the author side started to come out. um, And I wanted to combine those loves um, and saw no reason why I couldn't do that. But that's where it all started. I I taught um, K through six primarily. Um, My most recent position was pre-K through second grade. So I loved working with the little kids, but it wasn't just music ed. I also taught STEAM. Uh, so never a dull moment.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. And um, in, and I'm just always curious, especially when obviously we sort of got different countries in terms of education systems. Did you find that sort of the music was a little bit to one side of all that? Um, in terms of the steam being a, a big focus, in terms of certainly the um the arts being included, but but not maybe as focused as as it probably should be in terms of of obviously what we enjoy a, as musicians ourselves
1: yeah my earlier teaching positions were just music and obviously music is so all encompassing you know it is math it is science you know you just need to make those connections uh so in my in my earlier positions that was all i was doing was was music education but in my most recent position uh they had me teach pre-k through second grade music about like 70 ish percent of my schedule and then the rest was steam and so with steam I was teaching the whole school um, which was K through fifth and it was very different there were some things I did that combined music with science and technology and um, I did enjoy that STEAM is starting to be more prevalent than just STEM because STEM is really important, but STEAM actually acknowledges the artistic components that are involved. So when you're inventing something, when you're creating a prototype, that is art. There's art to that. You're, you know It's tactile. And so that was probably my favorite part of STEAM was just the fact that even though it wasn't always musical or audio-based... Uh, There was a lot of that creation of that creative thinking and problem solving that goes hand in hand with music education. So there was that bleed for sure.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think you're absolutely right. It's that kind of getting away from the silos that we have to be teaching any given specific um, subject as we go through, like you say, some of these things are very tactile, they're part of a project based idea. You know, we just spend our day living and we have a whole range of things going on for music in the background to studying music or, or actually being, you know, just immersed in, in life itself. And I think getting away from that now we're doing a given subject and it being part of, of what we're learning or playing with or experimenting with or whatever that's, there's a freedom there. And I think in a sort of a life affirming kind of way.
1: And I think my favorite part about teaching STEAM, it was, you know, advice I gave to teachers advice I gave to parents, when they would ask, like, how can I elevate this at home? And I would tell them, do not answer your children's questions, just Want spend a day, spend an hour. Don't answer them, and I don't mean ignore them. I mean ask, like, answer their question with another question. They say, "Mom, how does this work?" I don't know. Where can we find that out? Uh, you know, uh, what happens if I do this? I don't know. Why don't you try it and see? Where can we look that up? Where can you look that up? You just those things that get their gears turning, where they're going to ask questions. Kids do that, but starting to get them to think through. Well, how can I find an answer or what will happen? All of a sudden, they're not just looking to an adult for answers. They're looking to themselves to find the answers. And just that mindset shift is really powerful.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think also one of the things that I find interesting is that the asking the question thing is important. And I think acknowledging that in terms of how they can support themselves is important, because certainly my kids are a little bit older than that now. And, and I know as they go through school, they become less confident in asking questions because the perception is they should know already we've done this work you know I should know how it goes I've got an exam I should know all the answers and that kind of thing um and I know that there's sort of an age and a growing up part to that as well but I think there is also that sort of psych um there's the psychology in there as well that it's not okay to ask and I think to be able to sort of say, like I said, if it's a parent or a teacher asking those questions, but to then suddenly realize that that's not the only way I get my answers. So I can actually find out for myself and actually being able to show that, like say, doing it together, safe places you can find out, just experimenting as a, as a group of people. That really, I think it just kind of, it sets, a, it sets a scene, I think, which is then not just for that day, like I say, but for, for many days and weeks and months and years from the future.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that that's such a, powerful tool for when they do grow older because there isn't always going to be somebody who has the answer. And sometimes, you know, in my job or in my personal life, somebody will ask me something and I won't have the answer. I don't have it and I don't have anybody to look to. So I need to figure out how can I find this or who do I ask or where do I go next? And so that's it's a life skill and it's definitely a confidence thing, but it's it's important not just for children, but for lifelong learning (laughs) as a skill
0: yeah Yeah, for sure um so take us into that sort of journey from from being in the classroom from from teaching steam and then i I understand it's it's covid was kind of sort of a the the trigger point for being able to like say life expanding in different ways for so many people so so how did that work for you and then in terms of uh, the books and, and being able to support people in that sort of different kind of way
1: yeah, so I published my first book actually in 2020, like two months before COVID hit. And I, that was deeply affected because um, it was Laszlo Learn's Recorder. Um, and the recorder was very big in music education. But when all of the lockdowns occurred, suddenly music teachers weren't using that as a tool because they either didn't have recorders to send home with kids. Or, you know, kids forgot them at school, and then when they did eventually go back to school because of, like, aerosols, they couldn't play instruments because it was too dangerous. So uh, a book about learning the recorder didn't exactly go very (laughs) well. Um, But the idea, a lot of people did appreciate the idea because it was a way for them to teach the recorder without actually having the instrument in hand. So. I wanted to continue to support music education through picture books, uh, but take a break from the recorder specifically. So I uh, started developing um, books like The Song Garden, which I don't know if you know what boomwhackers are. They're essentially colored PVC pipe type things. Um, And so you don't have to blow into those to play them. They're easy to sanitize. So the song garden coordinates with boomwhackers, but it's also just a story. So if you don't have boomwhackers or you're just a parent, you can enjoy it just the same. Uh, Rhythm Rescue has a superhero where the kids have to clap the correct rhythm to activate the superpower she needs to keep the story going. So there's two different powers throughout and they have to make that differentiation. So that was where I started and I did it all while I was still teaching. I would say I was in the classroom, but I was streaming and I was doing it virtually from my house. Um, We were still in lockdown for a good chunk of, of time there And then I got pregnant with my daughter. Um, And so that's when my family life started changing and, you know, my family's needs started changing. So as the books kind of took off and people really appreciated these resources and I kept producing them, um, I started to really see the shift in education and the shift in how many hours were going to be required how much more of myself I was going to need to put in. And I was already putting in a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My final year of teaching, I was the music teacher, but I was also a full-time fourth grade co-teacher. So yes, I had two full-time jobs with the pay of one. And then I was also tech support for the students. So I had to... um, Whenever I got a message that a student couldn't uh, do something, and it was school wide, it was not just the kids in my class. I had to troubleshoot with them while co teaching fourth grade, while teaching music education asynchronously. So that's a lot of hours. That's more than one full time job. And I wasn't, you know, even though I, I loved my school, my district was very supportive. The teachers were wonderful, the administration was wonderful but when the reality of schools was just headed a certain direction there's only so much that one individual school can do if you don't have subs you don't have subs if you don't have staff you don't have staff you can you know pay people well and put out the applications but if no one applies you know there's only so much you could do and it reached a point where i had to put my family first um and i knew that if I tried to keep pushing myself to put more into teaching and be an author and suddenly be a mother and a wife and all of these other things in my life, I knew that there was going to be a breaking point for me. And I knew that my daughter deserved my best self and she needed me to be my best self so I put in my resignation, and I took being an author full-time, and honestly, I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're at the point now where my, my husband, two months ago, was able to leave his job as, at a high school. Um, I have been able to work less, make more, spend more time with my daughter, um, have more freedom. And still have a connection with the classroom. I am still educating through books. I'm still doing author visits and going into the classroom. I'm still doing the things that I love and teaching other people how to be authors. So I still have that education side of me. I'm still finding ways to fulfill those parts of my personality. uh, But without as much overwhelm, which I think is powerful.
0: Indeed and I think the thing that strikes me often is the fact that it's very easy to perceive that it has to look a certain way because anyone who's involved in education you know has that kind of it looks like this because this is how we've always done it Um, and here on the podcast you know we talk a lot about how education can be different or even should be different or certainly could be different and I think it's people like yourself that like say whether it's through life choices or family or or overwhelm or however people are feeling at any given time you know it has to be different and also that you want it to be different but to be able to then still support people and you have that kind of shift in focus but like say still being able to be um, of real value to the education both in terms of like say going in as a is a visiting author as well as sort of coaching people and that kind of thing it kind of shows the direction that we can go in and I think the more that people start to see, oh yeah, there's, I can find my little bit in that, which isn't necessarily having to be in a classroom, and or it might be that it, it, that is for part of my career, but then it's going to be slightly different. And then I think people's perception of what being an educator really is can, can kind of morph into a way which is actually probably more sustainable.
1: I, I still affirm. If somebody asks, "What do I do?" I am an educator. I'm open that I'm not in the classroom right now. I am not in a public school setting, but I am an educator uh, in every way that counts. And so I absolutely agree. I think that that's something that people need to give themselves more credit for. If you're tutoring, if you're doing lessons, if you are coaching, if you, there are so many different ways that you can educate without classically being in a classroom. And I do think that that's, you know, an an incredible job. And I, I do hope that things improve. I would love to go back someday. Uh, But right now it's not the right fit for me and it's not the right fit for my family. And that's okay because at the end of the day, I'm irreplaceable to them. And, you know, I, I, family has to come first. I have to come first to put my family first. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just recognizing that it's okay for things to look different right now.
0: Yeah, and and that's really interesting you said that, because I've seen that on social media very recently, it was a teacher and he was saying exactly that it's that kind of, you know, while I may be incredibly important to my students in the class they will get a sub or they will find another teacher. If I'm not there, I, you know, I have one wife, I have my children and they need me all the time. And as I think what you put so beautifully before is the fact that I want to be my best self for them. And that obviously is incredibly important for you, but incredibly important for those people in your life as well. And I think, I think the more that that becomes an important part for educators, the better, because I think that changes the feel of a school and it changes the feel of, of, of how we want to live our lives. And I think from a modeling point of view and a sort of a nonverbal point of view, that's also what we want to pass on to the children that we're teaching as well.
1: Sometimes to admin unintentionally, will say things like, you know, don't forget your self-care, don't forget to take care of yourself, self-care moments, things like that. Uh, but a lot of times the way it's implemented comes across more as a chore or like one extra thing to do rather than something that will actually take something off of your plate or actually give you whatever it is you're missing. And I think it's important to recognize that no one is going to prioritize that the way that you do. Nobody else is going to, you know, know exactly what you need when you need it. So you have to find the time for that. You know, we are already so good at putting other people first and putting our students first and trying to figure out what are my students' needs, but you have to be able to do that with yourself too, whether it's I need five minutes in the morning or I need to sit in my car, not drive anywhere for 10 minutes after school or I need coffee every morning. Whatever things that you need, uh, you have to start laying down those boundaries and acting them out because nobody is going to prioritize them the way you will.
0: Yeah, so incredibly important. And and following on from there, so obviously your your work life looks different now as an author and a coach. So I'm sure not every day is the same anymore. But but tell us a little bit in terms of of what that kind of of now looks like for people that that maybe think, oh yeah, there's something there that maybe there's you know, something I can I can look into for myself.
1: Yeah, I wake up. I uh, I do take my daughter to daycare. Uh, But that's mostly because she gets very bored with just myself and my husband. She loves playing with the other kids, and we want her to get that social interaction. So I take her to daycare, and then I come home. I cook breakfast. That is something I've never been able to do before. It was always drive through somewhere, make a bagel, throw it in the car, or forget to eat. That happened a lot, too. Um, So I cook breakfast, and then I clean or watch TV or go for a walk if it's nice out. I play with my dogs a little bit. And then around 10 o'clock, I sit down at my computer. I go through all my emails, see what I need to answer people, what I need to get caught up on for the day. And then I just start chucking down my to-do list. I uh, start editing manuscripts that need editing, or I send things out to You know, illustrators, book designers, printers, whoever I need to outsource things to. Um, I check my calendar for my live coaching calls, uh, which I only do three times a week. So I do have two days a week where I don't do anything live. And then, um, then pretty much my day is done around three. I go pick up my daughter and I don't touch my office. I don't look at my emails on my phone. I, you know, get to just spend time with my daughter, um, let her climb all over me. (laughs) She's only a year old, so she is little, little firecracker. And then I wake up the next day and I do it all again. And it, you know, it does obviously look a little bit different. There are some days that are more exciting than others, but like next, uh, in two weeks, I'm actually flying to a conference in Ohio um, to do a presentation. So I have some exciting things like that, but for the most part, I get to be home, create my own schedule, work at my own pace. And now my husband gets to help me do that, too.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. And I'm sure there are many people sort of having a very sort of thoughtful look at their life in terms of, ah, <laughs> yes, that, I, I could like to do that <laughs> if I have the opportunity. So uh, um, and in terms of the books, you know, do you have a kind of a, um, a schedule for how many you'd like to publish over the next, I don't know, six months, year, five years, or, or is it a bit more organic than that? How, how do you sort of structure that sort of planning?
1: Yeah, it depends on the book uh, because I do write, uh, I primarily write picture books, um, but I do have some chapter books under a pen name and I have been published both ways. So most of my picture books have been self-published, but I do have a step into reading book from Disney uh, based on their movie Encanto. Uh, And then I do have an agent. So with self-publishing, you are the publisher. So you are in charge of everything. And if there's something you can't do, you need to pay to outsource it. So I can't draw to save my life. So I have to hire illustrators and book designers and things like that. And then I have to figure out how to get it printed and distributed. Um, So that is a big chunk of what I do. But I have an agent for traditional publishing as well. Traditional publishing is much slower, but they handle everything. Illustrations, you know, editing, book design, all of that. So, I constantly have a lot of books in the work simultaneously. It's just a matter of where they're at in the process. Um, I do have one book starting illustrations next month. I have a chapter book that that's cover gets designed in two weeks and then i have another picture book starting illustrations in the fall so at any given time i have maybe two or three in the works which is a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't always recommend that especially for beginners but at this point i have a system i have a process and it's easily repeatable and as a story gets organically finished by me cuz i don't want to i don't want to just pump out something meaningless. Um, so as those are, are organically finished, uh, then they move their way down the line. But I constantly have multiple in the works at a time.
0: And and many of them are obviously music related. Is that something which is is going to keep going in that way? Or is there some sort of expansion as well? What's your sort of feelings on that?
1: Yeah, so I write two different types of picture books, and the, the first is music education-based, and that's where the majority of my content comes from, purely because when I started, books like that didn't exist. There were plenty of books ab- that you could sing, um, and there were plenty of books about like a musical instrument or a composer or like somebody famous uh, in the music world, but there weren't music Books like picture books that are stories that taught me, how to read music or how to experience music or how to create music. So, like the song garden is all about beginning composition. It's uh, there's a showcase, everyone in the town creates a song garden, and it's literally it has five lines, just like the musical staff. Um, it's five rows in a garden, and wherever they plant the flowers or the notes. And so it encourages kids to view composition in a different way. You know, you're just coloring flowers. You're just creating. But the big component with that one is the main character is so excited to create a song garden and then she sits down and can't think of anything. She's got nothing. And she walks around and see all her friends are having a great time and they're all done and She doesn't know what to do, and she sees her little brother making his. She asks her mom, well, aren't you afraid he'll get it wrong? And her mother says, well, that's the thing with something creative. There are no wrong answers. And so that's when it kind of clicks for her, and she's able to create something that's hers. So it's an opportunity not just for, yes, you can play every song garden that's in the book. Yes, you can teach actual beginning composition and how to read the notes that are on the page and boomwhackers coordinate with the flowers. But at its core, it's a book you can just pick up and take away the fact that creativity has no bounds, that there's absolutely no reason why you can't create something that's yours, because it's not a test. There's not a wrong answer to be found there.
0: And I was going to sort of ask you in terms of sort of the age that you're sort of gearing this towards but I, and i suppose it's going to be a younger age if it's a picture but but of course like you say because these themes are so incredibly important for learning generally you know there's a real sort of sense of sort of family grouping there like you say you've got younger people but i'm sure older siblings could, could get involved in and help with those sort of discussions and things as well so yeah i sort of love that kind of full-on but what, what's your sort of target or what were you thinking of as a target when you first started
1: Yeah, definitely that kind of K through four window. But I've I've found that um, even some of my older students who were, you know, sixth grade, uh, if you if you worded it right, if you worded it as we're going to read to the little kids or, you know, things like that, they got so into it. They might not want to admit how much they got into it, but you could read it on their faces. So that's where the core of things are just because there was such a huge gap missing there. And there's been such a good response to the books. Um, I'm constantly getting emails about, can you make one with this theme or, you know, I'm looking for something like this or you got anything in the works like that. Uh, So, you know, I really have been trying to continue producing those because they have been making such a big difference. Um, The other types of books that I write picture books specifically are um, about the indigenous Taino people. They're the people who uh, lived in like Puerto Rico, the Antilles area around the time of Christopher Columbus. And a lot of people don't realize that things like, even like maracas, those are Taino. A lot of people think, oh, they're from Spain or Latin America. Um, But words we use every day, like barbecue, hammock, um, even the guiro, those are all derived from the Taino people. uh, And that's a part of my heritage. So I write books about that. But um, mostly, it's, it's my background in music education, because I think music just ties into everything.
0: Yeah. And I really like the, the peer on peer learning that you mentioned there as well. And I think like I say, when you can frame it in the right way, and just set that environment, there's nothing more powerful than that. Because, you know, Kids like being around kids. And I think when you've got that kind of the next stage, like say another grade higher or a couple of years older, that they, they, they can see themselves in that, although they're not there. And, and the ability for the older kids to kind of, yeah, we, we've been there and done that now, but we can sort of help you and show you that. It's a completely different dynamic, isn't it? Than always, like say, having to be a teacher or or to, to be learning things formally in inverted commas.
1: I think that that blurs the lines really nicely between responsibility and getting a chance to kind of relive those younger kiddish moments for those you know preteen age kids too because they like the responsibility they like you know oh i'm gonna be a leader they love feeling like that but it also gives them an opportunity to just hold on to being a kid a little while longer too
0: yeah um, and I'm always fascinated, especially people who are, who are heavily involved in education, in terms of, was there a teacher or an education experience that kind of was really important to you and, and, and sort of how was that sort of affected you in terms of, of being an educator yourself?
1: Honestly, I had so many favorite teachers, but I'll I'll be honest. I was always a teacher's pet. Always, <laughs> even uh, even you know before I was school aged, um, I had a play backpack, and I used to try and sneak onto the bus. My mom would like catch me trying to sprint out the front door to go hop on the bus and she's like, "Okay, you still got a couple more years before school." I did not care. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to learn. I've always been that kid, that bookworm. And so when I, you know, when I started being in school, it's just I loved everything about it. I loved being the helper. I loved helping other kids. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. It was just a matter of what I wanted to teach. Uh, so I have a I have a lot of teachers who I feel influenced that. Um, I was lucky. I had a lot of good ones. Mostly my mom would tell the school to give me the strictest teacher because I actually liked that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think what's really important there, though, is the fact that, you know, for someone who wanted to be involved in learning, to then... Get to into education, sort of more formally, and to then still thrive through it, I think is really is really exciting. Because so often, I think some of that gets slightly dampened as as you sort of get older and then the more traditional sort of sense of school kicks in. So I think to be able to keep that kind of playfulness and that interest in what you are doing, and for that to be sort of supported by so many different teachers, like you say, I think that's that's really really it's a a really successful idea for, for people involved.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm fortunate. I have. I can remember almost all of my teachers' names, and I can think of you know things they did or how they made me feel. Um, you know, I, I was very fortunate to have a really great schooling, but I also recognize that that is not the case for a lot of people, and that's not the case for even many of my former students. Actually, my first year teaching at a new school, um, first day with. A new class, the principal had to actually like physically put a child in my room because he actively refused. He did not want to be there. He had such a bad experience with the past music teacher that it was just non-negotiable, did not want to enter the room. Um, and within a week, they were doing the opposite. They had to pull him out because then he didn't want to leave. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that You know, whether you're in the classroom, whether you're out of the classroom, I think it's so important to remember that children are impressionable and they might not remember exactly what you teach them, but they will remember how you make them feel. And yeah,
0: that's so important. And that really is a theme of the podcast, the sort of the we're, we're. you know we're over 250 episodes now and, and and that's that is the recurring theme is it's about relationships it's about how you make somebody feel it's about them wanting to interact in a human way which of course is what we're all about and i think you know if, if i think if you can walk into any situation and remember that then you're it's a recipe for success for, for any given day or class or, or whatever it is that you're putting your time and effort into What was the best piece of advice you've ever been given, or is there a piece of advice you gave your younger self now looking back?
1: My first year teaching, there was a principal who I didn't really see eye to eye with, uh, but there was one thing she said that has always stuck with me, and it was that uh, to be there for your students conditionally. And at first, every part of me objected to that. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I need to be there for them. Like, I I need to build these relationships. They need to know I care. And then she explained further and she said that one of the things that a lot of parents and especially teachers are guilty of is I will be there for you any time of day, no matter what. And while that's a good sentiment, sometimes what kids learn is that Whenever I need something unimportant, you're going to drop everything for me right this second and help me with it. So, her point was to set some boundaries. You know, if something major happens, if you, you know, if there's a trauma or your pet dies or something like that, absolutely, we are going to, you know, I am here for you. But if your pencil broke and I'm eating lunch, I will help you with that when I'm done eating lunch. (laughs) Things like that, where you you have to remind them that you're a person too and that you have needs too and that you will be there for them, but for the little things that sometimes it's not going to be immediate. Sometimes it will be in five minutes, it'll be after my lunch or tomorrow after school or whatever it may be because if they start to learn that the people in their life will always, at their own detriment, drop everything for them right there, then that second, they start to have unrealistic expectations for their friends and their future relationships. And they start to wonder, well, if you really loved me, why won't you stop everything right now? Because I need you right now. While sometimes that is appropriate. A lot of times it's not. So I think that was a huge wake up call for me. And it's something I, am even with a one-year-old, I'm trying to teach her <laughs> slowly but surely is that I will be there for you but sometimes it's going to look a little different.
0: Yeah, so incredibly important and and a real kind of nice sort of nod to the self-care conversation that we were talking about before, isn't it? Because like you say, you can do all of that and then you don't get your lunch or whatever it happens to be for the sake of just saying, no, it's fine, we will do it later or whatever that situation is. And I, and I think when, when it's very clear, like I said, if it's a real emergency, we can do this. If it's not, it's not. And I think like I say those boundaries are really important but also from a societal point of view and like say for their relationship point of view going through it gets a bit mind-blowing when you think about that all the time because you suddenly have this sort of weight of of what it is that you're doing on a day-to-day basis but I think when you're thoughtful and you're authentic and you're just living it without overthinking it then I think you get the best of both worlds there. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah it's just it's balance. And that's honestly one of the hardest things to teach is balance, especially if you're not practicing it yourself. And I think just generally as teachers, it's something that we struggle with. We want to give, 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 but you can't pour from an empty cup.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and most of us have a resource, which means had a big impact on our life and um what's something you'd like to share and it could be anything from a podcast to a book a video a film a song anything but something which just has that kind of sense of ah uh, yeah this has really made a difference either like say spiritually emotionally or practically
1: you know this isn't this isn't a resource but um i'm going to give a shout out to my husband here because one day i i was just sitting on the couch and he asked me what is something you've always wanted to do but haven't And I said, well, I've always wanted to write a book, but that's not going to happen. And he said, well, why not? And I was like, well, because I don't know. (laughs) And he said, well, why not? If that's what you want to do, let's figure out how to do it. And that was what sparked me to do all this research. I was on YouTube constantly. I started watching master classes and taking courses and reading and reading and reading and reading, but I wouldn't have done any of that if he hadn't pushed me and it wasn't necessarily that I didn't uh, I guess a part of it was I didn't believe in myself a little bit but a big part was just I just thought it would be one of those things that I looked back on in my life and thought you know that would have been nice if what if and so I guess what I would encourage other people to do is to find a resource or a person that. Pushes you to follow your dreams and to helps you, you know, help you find that confidence and seek out the resources to make that a reality. Even if it doesn't end up being your career, if it's something you want to do, life is too short to not do it.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I, I love those situations and those questions that just open a door. Like you say, it might be something in the back of your mind. It might be something you really have been thinking about, but just that sense of life could be really different here <laughs> you know and i don't quite quite even know how that's going to happen or, or where it's going to happen or, or what it is that i need but i think once you open that door and start to step through it all of that stuff comes to you like i say whether it's finding the right video on youtube or meeting the right person or whatever it happens to be and i i, I love that sense of just you know opening that up and then just seeing where it goes and and that's probably a really nice sort of segue in terms of like I say if there are teachers listening thinking I'm not sure that I've got another 20 years in me in terms of doing the same thing day in day out you know just by thinking how could it be different you know I've you know, I've heard Vicky talking today about how her life has changed and, and the reasons why that happened and but you know what does that mean to me? what does mine look like and, and how can that possibly change and, and and it brings me nicely just as we sort of finish up here. We talk about fire, obviously, on the show in terms of feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. Um, and there's usually one of those which kind of speaks to people for one one reason or another. So, so what is it that speaks to you in terms of those four things?
1: I think we've covered a lot that ties into that. But I think the biggest thing is that resilience. Because I know that there are a lot of people who have a dream, maybe kind of started to pursue it, and then we're like, no, I'm too busy, I don't have time for that, or somebody else needs me, um, or they're just too scared to take the leap. And it, and it doesn't even matter what it is. So I think that at the end of the day, it's incredibly important to remind yourself that you know you do only have one life, And that there is far more to life than giving, giving, giving and never getting to follow your own dreams. So, you know, remembering to find the balance, teach the balance, model the balance (laughs) and finding the right resources to keep you in check. It's so easy to fall back into old habits. So really getting yourself to create new habits of self-care, of self-discovery, of you know, pursuing whatever it is you want to know more about and learn more about, um, and surrounding yourself with people who will help you do that, even if it's just through their presence, or their kind words, or maybe you have a friend who will pester you to keep you on track with whatever your goals are. But the more you surround yourself with those resources um, and those people, the further you're going to go, um, and just. Always focus on moving forward, even if it's baby steps, even if you're just tiptoeing sometimes, you will get to your destination before you know it if you just focus on forward.
0: Yeah, and I think the key to resilience, like you like you just mentioned, is the fact that it's always a kind of a moving target. You know, like you say, it's that friend who keeps coming back. It's that goal which didn't quite work in how I wanted to today, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. Or... I just want it to look a little bit like this. I know I've what it is I'm trying to do because I've kind of I've jotted it down and I've got an idea of how that is but for some reason you know you've been knocked off course for a day or a couple of days or a week or whatever and but now 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 like I like you say I've got the resources I've got the tools I've got the friendships I've got the people around me that can help me and just each of those little course corrections I think gives you resilience in that one word that can take you going forwards in that uh, and I think that's always the hardest thing to do because resilience just sounds like oh it's just this but I just think it's so many little things like you just said that kind of come together which make you resilient or or give you that chance to like I say move on baby steps to see where it is that you you want to be or whatever it is that you want to achieve going forward so fantastic we've, we've got some amazing wisdom in there Vicky thank you so much for for sharing all of that and sharing your story and everything and 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 please do tell everybody where they can find out more about you and also the books and the sorts of things that you're offering
1: yeah. So all of my books can be found anywhere books are sold. You can request them at your local library uh, or at your local bookstore. You can also find them online, anywhere like Amazon, Waterstones, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, uh, just by typing in my name. And for any resources about getting published yourself, go to athomeauthor.com. There are tons of YouTube videos, blog posts, coaching, courses, um, and I'm constantly adding new things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Best of luck with with all those books, which sounds like you'll have a whole train of them <laughs> coming through and um, and it's always an absolute delight to hear people that are taking control of what they're wanting to do and when that involves spending more time with their family especially when they're young and you can do that it's it, it fills me with a lot of joy and one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was just enjoy it all and, and do every day and I think it like I say with a young family that's uh, and hearing people doing that just I just think fantastic I, I love it and hopefully everyone listening can can think about all those things in their life and do the same thing. So Vicky, thank you so much for sharing all that with us and from, for spending some time with us here today.
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've created 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage